We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5, and uh, so you can turn there, turn there with me, 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and so I'm going to read that, and then, and then I'll come back and, and we'll, we'll talk more here. So 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God Now, John has been talking to a group of people that are being uh, 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 swayed by uh, some heretics, some people that are believing false things about the scriptures. They're believing false things about who Jesus is. So John has been giving them uh, these tests to understand whether they truly know Jesus, whether they truly have a relationship with God. And so he has been talking about these three various tests that are uh, uh, to, to believe, to love, and obey. Do you believe, do you love, and do you obey God? Do you believe him, do you love him, and do you obey him? And so he's been going through these three tests. And where we landed last week uh, was kind of asking this question. Uh, if you were to look at uh, verse 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from, and this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother." So we kind of landed right there, and I, and I know from talking to a couple of the community group leaders that one of the things that may have stuck out was uh, we kind of asked this question, which is, do you have this fear that, that you don't know God? Like when you talk about your relationship with God, when you talk about, uh, you know, about this idea of, of heaven or the kingdom of God, really, uh, when you think about that, do you have this confidence that John is talking about, or is this just, there is this general fear that I'm not sure that I'm going to make it? I'm not sure that I'm there. I'm not sure that I, that I have done enough. I'm not sure that I believe rightly. Well, John has been going at pains to say that this is how you know. This is how, and he's still going to talk about this later in the passage. But what I was told is that there, there's some of us in this room, and I think all of us to some degree or another, have this sense of, do I know God? Do I have relationship with him? Am I going to be with him forever? In fact, me and my wife were just talking uh, this last week, just have a, a great talk about what's been going on in her life. And, and I was telling her, that there's a part of me that kind of asks these questions, and I think that's why we have the script. I know it's why we have the scriptures, but I have to ask myself these questions, uh, especially as I'm preaching, which are, do I love God? Like, do I love God? Like, here, I, I'm the preacher, and everyone's listening to me right now, or you should be not looking at your phone, or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, but do I love God? Do, do, I have, do I have this love for God that is, that is driving me, that's causing me to believe in God? So I've gone through these stages in my life before where I've, I've kind of said, God, what do you want from me? What, what, what do you want from me? Like, I want to experience you. 
I want to experience you. I want to feel you, God. I, I want to feel you in my life. And I'm not doing anything until I feel you in my life. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us a sense of feeling. But I do want to say this, that this generation seeks for a feeling far above anything else. We seek for, a, we, we are driven by feelings. If I feel like being a part of what God is doing, then I'll, I'll be a part of that. If I, if I have this sense, then I'll, I'll do it. And I think part of the reason for that is because you're probably a lot like me. And that is that I, I want this sense of authenticity in me. I want this sense of authenticity so that when people see who I am, when people see this relationship with God that I have, that they say, that's undeniable. That's undeniable. Like, there's, that's, that's real, and that's true, and that's authentic. I went to this concert the other night with my wife and some friends uh, from the, the church and, and other places as well. It's called Need to Breathe. I don't know if you've heard of them. But I um, went and uh, listened to Need to Breathe, and it was just amazing. Like, I haven't really listened to them a ton. Um, you know, Ryan, our, our worship pastor, um, is really into them. And, and so we've been listening to them a little bit, and I'm kind of like, you know, I don't really get it. But then I'm sitting in this concert, and I'm listening to this guy. His name is Bear, which is a fantastic name. Um, but uh, I totally wish I would have named one of my children Bear. Um, I did want to name at least one child Chevy. I, and here's why. I love Chevy Chase, and I love Chevy Trucks. And my wife did not think that that was a good enough reason to name one of our children. That, but she might have gone for Bear. I don't think so, though. But... Um, so this guy's name was Bear. That's how we got into that. Uh, I got to remind myself. And one of the things about him is that I, I was sitting there listening, and, and I was like, every word is passionate. Every word that he sings is absolutely passionate. Like, you can't listen to this guy and not be, like, totally drawn to what he's singing because there's this depth of authenticity. There is this depth of authenticity. Like, you feel like he means this. Like, there's an authenticity in that. And so we're sitting there, we're listening to this concert, and then he goes and takes a break, and then his little brother, who's the lead guitar player, he comes out and he does a song called The Bossa Nova, which was the worst song you've ever heard. And it was not authentic in any way, shape, or form. And so everyone's sitting there scratching their heads like, these two things do not go together. There was just this lack of authenticity. Here's the thing. You and I want to be seen as though there's an authenticity in us. We want to say, like, if I'm walking with God, like, it's really happening to me. Like, this is what's taking place. Every word, every thought, every desire for God is passionate. And so we're led by our feelings in some ways. What this is saying here, if I can get back here, it's, it's talking about how do we get to a point where we have this love for God. How do we understand, like, I have a love for God, and I want to walk with Him, and as a result, I'm going to, what he says, is overcome the world. It doesn't mean like there's this royal beat down on the world. It means I'm going to rise above the, the constraints of the world and, what the, and how the world is trying to hold me back and how I engage with things of the world. I'm overcoming the world. How do I get to this point where my love for God is so intense and so powerful that I can just be like, oh, please, I don't, want, I don't need none of that. I don't want any part of what the world has. I just want Jesus. I just want him in my life, and I want to have a relationship with him. And as a result, what's taking place is that I have a love for God that is authentic, and people see it, and they just go, dude, that guy, if anybody has a relationship with God, or if any girl has a relationship with God, that one does. That one does. That's, that's what I want. I don't know what you want. We, we, I, I, I used to say this more than I have recently, but do you want to ride the bench? Do, do, is your relationship with God, is, is this, is this going to be something that you're just kind of like, I've just been doing this for my life. I've just been doing I've been a part of this. My parents took me to church. I've, I've been hanging out in the church for a long time. And so I'm just kind of doing this. Do you, is that what you want? Do you want real relationship with God that has an incredible passion? I think that's what John is talking about here. I think that's what God is trying to communicate to us. And what I think is helpful here is that sometimes we need to understand the fear that we're dealing with. 
Look again at what he says in 1 John 4, verse 17. By this is love perfected in us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. By this is love perfected in us so that there's just this level of confidence that says, come day of judgment, I am in the right spot with God. I've got relationship with him. And then you look at the end of, of, uh, of our passage here this morning, verse 5, where it's talking about overcoming the world. Like, this is, this is who I am. And so John is communicating. He's saying that he wants us to be able to look at these three tests and answer affirmatively that, yes, I believe. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So the first thing that I want you to see about that is this, is that new birth, the new birth, being born again, is what enables our ability to believe. Look, look at it with me. Well, look at what comes first. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has already been born of God. That's what it really says there. It's like if you believe, something that you got to know about your life is this, is that if you truly believe in who Jesus Christ is and what he does and, and all of that, we'll get to that in a second, but if that's truly where you're at, what you have to see is you have to see that God has already created new life in you. You are born in God. You are born of God. Now, what does that tell us? Oh, it tells us this. You didn't create salvation in you. You didn't create it in you. One of the, wait, like you are you fearful for the day of judgment? Are you fearful to, to say, like, I don't know if I were to die today that I would uh, see God. I don't know that I'd have relationship with God. I don't know that I'm going to where God is. Well, here's the thing. The first thing that you need to know is this, is that the only way that this takes place, the only way that we have a relationship with God is that God is the one that has created new life in us in the first place. So it doesn't rest on you. It does not rest on your ability. It does not rest on my ability to be able to have relationship with God. So new birth enables us to believe. The second thing is this, is like, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? And then what are we believing in? Well, he says we, that we got to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Now, if you want to fully understand, okay, I want to uh, not have a fear for the day of judgment, but I want to have confidence in the day of judgment that I have relationship with God, that I love God. So what does that need to look like? I was reading this incredible sermon from uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon uh, from 1871, the year 1871 in, in uh, England there. And what he says is this. He says, in order to understand this statement, you've got to really look at what's being said there. It's, it says this. It's not just that Jesus is the Christ. Yes, that's one way of putting it. But it's saying this. It's saying the Savior is the anointed one born of God. So Jesus, his name is Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so it's Jesus who is, uh, who is the Savior, who is the anointed one. He is the anointed one. And what does it mean to be anointed? Well, look at what Spurgeon says. What is meant by Jesus is the Christ or Jesus is the anointed? First, that he is the prophet. Secondly, that he is the priest. Thirdly, that he is the king of the church. For in all these three senses, he is the anointed. In the Old Testament, which is before the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in the olden days, if you will, this is how it went. There were three types of people that led God's people that were anointed by God. You had prophets. You had priests. And you had kings. And these three types of people that led God's people were anointed by God. They were anointed by God. And so this is what Spurgeon says. Now I may ask myself this question. Do I this day believe that Jesus is the great prophet 
anointed of God, to reveal to me the way of salvation? Do I accept him as my teacher and admit that he has the words of eternal life? If so, if I so believe, I shall obey his gospel and possess eternal life. Do I accept him to be henceforth the revealer of God to my soul, the messenger of the covenant, the anointed prophet of the most high? Now, that's, that's a lot there, but when you're saying, I believe that Jesus is the anointed, he is fulfilling these three roles of prophet, of priest, and of king. And as a prophet, he's revealing. Prophets are revealing who God is. They're saying, thus says the Lord. They're coming and they're speaking to God's people, and they're telling God's people, this is what God says. This is the way of salvation. This is what your life should look like. Stop this sin. Start this. Don't do that. Go this way. Go that way. That kind of thing. Do I believe that Jesus is my prophet? Is he the anointed one in your life? Is he the one? Is he the revealer of truth? Speaking truth in your life. Is that what's going on? Because here's the thing. We can believe that Jesus is the Christ without actually having trusted him. We can believe that, that that's, yeah, that's who he is without having actually rested ourselves in him. Look at the next thing he says. But he is also a priest. No, a priest is ordained from among men to offer sacrifices. Do I firmly believe that Jesus was ordained to offer his one sacrifice for the sins of mankind by the offering of which sacrifice once for all he has finished atonement and made complete expiation? Now, what is expiation? What does that word even mean? It's a big word. And what it means is this, is that in, again, the Old Testament... When God's people sinned, they were instructed that they were to atone for these sins through this ritual. And the ritual included two goats. We talked about one of those goats, even though I didn't mention a goat uh, last week, or it might have been the week before, I can't remember. But, uh, but that goat represents propitiation. That's, that is to turn aside the wrath of God. But there's another goat, the first goat, which is the... Uh, the uh, scapegoat. It's where we get the idea of scapegoat. If you've ever heard that term, I, oh, he's just a scapegoat. What is a scapegoat? A scapegoat is the one that takes the sins away. And so what would take place is this, is that God's people, the priest, and, and perhaps even the people that had sinned would come and they would place their hands on this goat throughout this ritual, and what would take place is that this is representing the idea that my sins, what I have done in this instance or in this situation, this period of my life, are going into this scapegoat, and this is a representation of what God does in atonement. It's a representation of the fact that God takes away my sin. And so what, what's, what's happening is that my sin goes into the goat, even though they don't really go into the goat. It's a representation of that. And then that goat is sent out into the wilderness to die. My sin is taken into that goat. So the priest is the one who, who uh, creates this situation. He's the one who allows this to take place. It's, it's, he says this, do I accept his atonement as an atonement for me? and receive his death as, as an expiation upon which I rest my hope for forgiveness of all my transgressions? Do I in fact believe Jesus to be the one soul only propitiating priest, the one who can turn aside the wrath of God and accept him to act as priest for me? If so, then I have in part believed that Jesus is the anointed. Do you see what's happening here? It's, it's not just saying, yeah, just believe that Jesus existed. It's saying specifically believing this about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed. But then the last thing is this, but he is also king. And if I desire to know whether I possess the right faith, I further must ask myself, is Jesus who is now exalted in heaven, 
who once bled on the cross, is he king to me? Remember during the Kingdom of God series, if you were here, that we would ask this question, is Jesus your king? It's not just is he, is he, is he savior, and that's good, but is he your king? Is he, is he the anointed one? Is his law my law? Do I desire entirely to submit myself to his government? Do I hate what he hates and love what he loves? Do I live to praise him? Do I, as a loyal subject, desire to see his kingdom come and his will done on earth as it is in heaven? My dear friend, if thou canst, if you cannot, heartily and earnestly say, I accept Jesus Christ of Nazareth, to be prophet, priest, and king to me because God has anointed him to exercise these three offices. And in each of these three characters, I trust him. Then, dear friend, you have the faith of God's elect. For it is written, he that believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. When we're talking about the idea that I believe that Jesus is the Christ... It is absolutely important. Now, what is meant by belief? What does it mean to believe? What does that mean for us? Well, if you were to look at the, the actual word, the actual word means this. To believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance to believe in, to have confidence in, to have faith in, to trust. It's, it's not just that I believe that this has taken place. It's, it's that I'm relying on it. And what am I relying on? <clears throat> I'm relying on the reality that Jesus is the anointed one of God. He is prophet he is priest, and he is king. I'm relying on hearing from him. I need to hear the words of God. I need to hear. I see Jesus, and I see God. I, 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 see, I see what Jesus needs to say to me, and I take it as from God because he is God. He's born of God. He's divine. So I'm taking his words, and I'm relying on them. He's priest. The priest's job is to be a go-between between God's people and God. And he helps facilitate atonement between those, as I said. He's facilitating atonement. He's facilitating the forgiveness of sins that you and I need. So it's not just believing that Jesus did go to the cross, which you, you should believe that. It's, it's not less than that, though. It's more than that. It is more than just believing. It is relying upon the fact that I need the atonement. I need Jesus. I need him. I, I need him to bleed out for me. I need it. I have to have it. I have to take advantage of that. I need Jesus. I'm, and, and more than that, I'm relying on it. So how does this work in our lives? When you think about the fear, when you think about the idea that, that, that I may not have what it takes to get into heaven, I may not have what it takes to see God, I may not have what it takes to have relationship with God. You know what must follow that thought? You know what must take place immediately after that? Is to say, it has never been about my ability to be with God. It has always been about God's ability to save me. Salvation is his doing from first to last. Salvation, he is the one who causes me to be born again. He is the one who works in my life so that I can believe in him. And so what may, must take place in those instances is this. As long, I must say to myself, as long as it is dependent upon me, I am lost and I am going straight to hell. As long as it, as it depends on my ability to be able 
to walk with God or to love God or to do anything for God, as long as it's dependent upon my abilities to do enough for him or to show enough for him, I'm lost and I'm going to hell. That's true. If it depends on me, I'm in trouble. You're in trouble. We don't have a leg to stand on. That is why, he says, if you believe it's because you've been born of God. It didn't happen with you. It happened with God. God's the one who affected this change in your life. And so the way out of this, the way out of this sphere is to understand that my reliance on Jesus as the anointed prophet, priest, king who's been born of God, making him divine, making him, and that didn't cause him to be divine. He is divine. He is the son of God. But it's my reliance upon him that allows me to have relationship with him. Spurgeon goes on to talk about a, a couple of instances, one of them from the Old Testament. When God's people were in Egypt, they were enslaved for 400 years, and they, they had these brutal taskmasters over them. This Pharaoh was very, very brutal with them. And so they were being whipped and beaten. They were being forced to work. And so God calls Moses and he says, I want you to go back to Egypt, even though you're a wanted man there. I want you to go back to Egypt and, and I want you uh, to save my people. I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And maybe you remember this story. Maybe you don't. But Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, God says to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, uh, no, and, he, and no, and no. And so all these plagues come one after another after another because he will not let God's people go until finally Moses comes and says, listen, you got one more chance. And that is that you must let God's people go or here's what's going to happen. The firstborn of every family is going to be killed. And that's not just of Egypt, it's of God's people as well. And so the angel of the Lord is going to come throughout Egypt and he's going to strike down everyone, uh, every one of the firstborn of these families. And so Moses goes to God's people and he says, here's how you can keep the firstborn of your family from being killed. And he gives them all of these instructions, but it essentially boils down to this, and that, that is that they were to take this spotless lamb, and they were, to, uh, they were to sacrifice it, and they were to take the blood from this lamb, and they were to go out to the front of their house, uh, to uh, their, their doorway, and they were to take this branch of hyssop, and they were to take this blood, they were to dip it in there, and they were to put it on there, and they were to cover this door with the blood so that the angel of the Lord would pass by, would pass over. That's where the Passover comes from, by the way, if you didn't know that. So what had to take place there was they had to hear the truth, and that is that in order not to have the firstborn die, then we must take a lamb, and that lamb must be sacrificed, and the blood must be poured into a bowl, and we must take this branch, and we must dip it on here. And so what has to take place there is that they have to hear the word of God as though it's coming from a prophet. They have to take this blood in the way that a priest would and sacrifice this animal in the way that a priest would. They have to hear the words of God. They have to obey him, and they, then they have to follow through, and they have to obey, and they have to put this blood on the door. Reliance upon God leads to obedience of God. Your salvation is not contingent on your ability to obey. It is contingent upon your, uh, upon God giving you the power to believe the words that he says, to believe that they are true. You say, you know, I'm jacking up my life. Maybe everybody knows. Maybe nobody knows how, how bad your life is jacked up because you keep jacking it up. Your main problem is not that you continue in this line of sin. That is part of the problem. Don't get me wrong. And you should stop that. 
But the main problem is not that you continue in that sin. It's that you disbelieve God. It's that Jesus is not your prophet. It's that Jesus is not your priest. That Jesus is not your king. You don't obey him because he is not those things to you. What I'm trying to tell you is that the most important thing in all of these three tests, it all begins with belief. In fact, it is bookended with belief. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Look at verse 5. Everyone who overcomes the world. Stop right there for a second. Everyone who's able to give up sin. And we're not going to be perfect in this life. Don't worry. But you're walking in the direction of God. You see yourself setting things aside that have always been a part of your life. Everyone who overcomes the world. I'm overcoming the world. I'm loving people that I don't really like, that I wouldn't normally like. Everyone who overcomes the world. I'm sorry. Where, where am I? <laughs> who is it that overcomes the world? I'm sorry. Except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you see that? The first verse and the last verse both say the same thing. It's bookended with belief in Jesus. So look at the rest of the passage with me. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So when you're a child of God, because you've been born of God, then what happens is this, is that you love the Father. You, that, that God becomes your Father. Like So then what's happening as a result of this deep belief, like as you see your own sin and you see how messed up you are and you see how entrenched you are in sin and how much you don't like the people around you and how much you are not overcoming the world but the world is overcoming you and you say I don't know that I'm saved I don't know that I know God I don't know any of these things but then you begin to see oh the relief of who Jesus is that he is prophet that he's priest and that he's king and you receive that and you rely on that and you say God I don't know how you're saving me except through the fact that Jesus is the one that went to the cross, that Jesus is the one who did this for me. And so as a result, you are God's. You're his. You're born of him. God is your father. He's your father. So he says, as a result of this belief, what flows out of that is a love for the father. Do you see what's happening here? Everything in our life is a gospel issue. You got a crappy marriage? It's a gospel issue. You guys constantly fighting all the time? You can't seem to work things out? It's a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue because you don't understand this idea. You don't understand that believing that Jesus is the Christ changes everything. It causes you to overcome the fights in your marriage. It causes you to overcome pornography. It causes you to overcome whatever it is that your issue is. Insert your problem in there. Lying, cheating, degrading, whatever it is. It causes you to be able to overcome that because of this. Everyone who loves the Father, like love comes out of the reality that I believe that Jesus is the anointed. God becomes my Father. I have this natural love for him that's flowing out of that. And they love whoever has been born of him. Do you know what happens there? Because of my belief in Jesus, and even before that, I... I'm a child of God. I believe in Jesus. That's changing me. In fact, the deeper that I believe, the more I change. The more I become like Jesus. I have this love for God that, that, is, that, is, that is growing in me. And it's not um, some weird Christianity, uh, a Christian type of love that everyone looks at and just goes, that is just weird. Like, that doesn't even seem authentic. Kind of like the guy at the concert singing the bossa nova. Like, what is this? That does not, that doesn't compute. That's not like that. That's, these two things are not alike. 
there's a reality that happens in our life because what's flowing out of us is a love for the Father. And that love for the Father is spilling over into whoever has been born of Him. It's spilling over into a love for God's people. Do you love God's people? John has gone at great pains to say, how do you love God's people? Well, I just do. Well, John says, that's not really love. You can say it all day long. You can, you can whatever, but that doesn't show a true love. A true love for God's people, for God's children, comes out of the fact that we love the Father. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. Here's how you know that you love the children of God. These are signs. First we were talking about believe. Now we're talking about love. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey His commandments... This is how, by this we know that we love the children of God. What happens is this, is that God becomes my father. He is my father because of he's the one who enacted new birth in my life. He's caused this belief. I have this love for him because I continually look at, like, man, I have this, I, there's this fear that kind of comes back to me, but then it turns into great relief all the time because I see that I am not going to that place to the day of judgment. I'm going to eternal uh, life with Jesus. I'm going there, so this love is just boiling up in me. And what's happening is this, is that I'm, uh, I'm loving the children of God because I love my Father. And what's really taking place in this is that I obey his commandments. I obey his commandments. John Stott says this, love for God is not an emotional experience so much as a moral commitment. Love for God is not so much an emo emotional experience so much as it is a moral commitment. Think about that for a second. We're driven by our feelings. Do I feel a love for God? I don't know that I love God anymore. I just, I kind of fallen out of love with this stuff. See, love for God is not as much a, an emotional experience. It can be emotional. And it's fantastic when it is emotional. But it, it is not primarily an emotional experience. Otherwise, what that verse might say is by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and have really uh, intense worship services. Or when I just really feel like God is speaking to me and he's doing things for me and so life is going so much better. Like, like this, is, this is how I have a relationship with God. It's when I feel good about God and then therefore now I have a relationship with God. But do you know what devastates our faith? It's when God allows a child to die. When God takes the job that we've always thought that we deserved. When our spouse walks out, when things do not go the way that you want them to, when things do not go the way that you want them to, and you thought all along that you were the one that brought you to Christ, you thought that you're just that good of a person because you chose God, not realizing that he is the one that caused new creation in you. It is not built on emotional experience. It is built on uh, God enacting this change in us, a true reliance on who he is, and an obedience that rises up out of this amazing love for him. It says in verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you know how burdensome that verse sounds? It sounds really burdensome, does it not? Keeping his commandments, oh. First of all, the idea of sin in our world today is it, nobody wants to talk about that. 
Nobody wants to talk about sin. They want to reject the idea out of hand that there is any such thing as sin. But then to go further and say it's not just that there's sin, it's that God has commandments. And when you think about the commandments of God and you think about like enacting those in your life and you just go, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about me. I'm saying, dude, I mean, like, like loving people that really irritate me? I might be talking about some of you. I don't know. I just I don't, don't get too comfortable here. <laughs> you pray for me right now. Lord, help the pastor believe the passage he's preaching. Loving, loving people, doing what I don't want to do for the sake of God, overcoming the world. Is that easy for you? Does that not feel burdensome? John says, it's not burdensome. Oh, thanks, John. Sure sounds burdensome. <laughs> There's a lot of rules in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever read that. I think it's 600, maybe 610 if I remember right. 600 laws. Not all of them apply to us today. In fact, most do not. Many do not, I should say. His commands are not burdensome, but this is the love of God. So here's the thing. They appear to be burdensome, but they're not really burdensome. And here's why. Because when you look at your belief in Jesus as the Christ, when you are reliant on Jesus as prophet and priest and king, He's the one who speaks the words of life. He's the one who enacts atonement. He is the one who is my king. He rules over me. I want to live under his rule. When we speak of the idea that I'm reliant upon Jesus says this, what's bubbling up in that as a child of God is the fact that my love for God is growing because God is my father. He's the one who enacted all of this He's the one who caused all of this to take place. I love him more. My love for him begins to spill out on his children. You know, when you love someone, you love like a family member and you love their kids and they're like your kids and you just, you begin to love God's children. And more than that, the reason why this is taking place is because you love him so much as a father that you are obeying him. You walk in obedience. It's no longer a chore it is a great privilege. It is a great privilege. For everyone, verse 4, who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Do you see? Our faith. Our faith. It comes back to this idea of believing what has overcome the world. It starts with the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It starts with belief. Do you, want, do you not want to have fear for the day of judgment? Believe, rely rightly. Do you want to have love for God? Believe rightly. Rely on him rightly. Do you want to obey him? Believe rightly and who he is and what he's done, and it will grow. Your love for the Father begins to grow. It pours out on the, on the sons and the daughters of the Father, and even the future sons and daughters of the Father who are going to come to know him. You love people, and you want to obey God as a result, and it is all a result of the faith that we have that is caused by God in the first place. God's the author of the, our faith. He's the one who started it in us. He's the one that continues that faith in us as we realize what he's done for us on the cross. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you want to overcome the world? Are you tired of living like someone who says that they love God, but you can't find a stitch of it in your life. Listen, me and my wife are having the same conversation. Do I love God? We're all in the same boat here. 
No one's pointing a finger at you. But do you know what overcomes the world? Our faith. Do you want to be overcomers? Or do you want to ride the bench? Singing along, singing the bossa nova. It was a weird song. So weird. So, do you want it? Is that what you want? So, here's the thing. There are so many people in Christianity today. They claim Christianity as their religion. And they have merely said that they believe that, that Jesus is divine. And I'm not saying that hope in Jesus does not affect salvation. I'm not saying. I'm not saying it is any more than that. It is that. But I don't believe that people have even gone that far. There's so many people who are walking around believing that they have a, a real faith in God that has never taken place. There's never been any reliance on him. John says, if that's you, you are going to live in fear of the day of judgment. And John says, and God says to us through that, that is not the way to be an overcomer. That is not the way that God wants us to live. God wants us to live passionately, authentically, as people who are world overcomers because of the incredible grace of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. And that that is what is the driving force behind us. Do you have this? Do you have it? Do you want it at all? Would you pray with me? In fact, would you just take a second and just, just think to yourself for a moment before we pray? Do I live in fear of the day of judgment? Do I live in that fear? I must tell you that that is not what God wants for you. He wants you to live in love with Him. Is Jesus the anointed prophet in your life? Do you rely on Him to hear from Him, to hear His words? Is He the anointed prophet? priest in your life who affects salvation for you? Is he the anointed king? Have you relied on him in that way? Lord Jesus, I want to pray for us as your people. Lord, I want to pray that, God, that there would be a true reliance upon you, that we would see and know that you are the one who has affected salvation in us from the very beginning. Lord, that you would, that you would allow us and drive us to greater and greater belief in you. Lord, may we see all issues as gospel issues. And God, would you work this change in our lives? And Lord, as a result, would we become world overcomers who set aside the entanglements of sin out of a deep and abiding love for you? Lord, that it's not just taking sin out and replacing it with nothing, but it's it's removing sin with your love and love of you. God, would you do that in our hearts? It's in your name we pray. Amen. On Sunday, we come before the Lord through the Lord's table, and we, uh, 
we partake of the elements. And that's, those are fancy words for just saying we drink some juice and, and eat a cracker. But it's what Jesus told us to do, which was to remember what he's done for us on the cross. And so we want to go to the Lord's table and just remembering that. So I, I just want to invite you, as you go to the Lord's table this morning, to just try to revel in who he is and what he's done, the anointed one. And then as we worship together, that, that, that our worship comes out of it. It springs out of this deep love. I mean, it's okay to be emotional in that. It doesn't rest on that, but it's okay to respond emotionally to God in and through that. But this is the, these are the ways that we worship. We worship through these things and through, through giving as well. It's one way that we give here, that we worship here at Outward. So I want to invite you to those things as we close the service.